Chapter 10 of Nature's Miracles Familiar Talks on Science, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Familiar Talks on Science by Elisha Gray, Chapter 10. Chapter 10 Wind Why It Blows. We have said that the globules of moisture released by the action of the sun's rays in the process of evaporation tend to rise because they are lighter than the air. Right here let it be said that all material substances have weight. Even hydrogen, the lightest known gas, has weight and is attracted by gravitation. If there were no air or other gaseous substances on the face of the earth except hydrogen, it would be attracted to and envelop the earth the same as the air now does. Carbon dioxide is a gas that is heavier than the air. If we take a vessel filled with this gas and pour it into another vessel, it will sink to the bottom and displace the air contained in it until the air is all driven out. If we fill a jar with water up to a certain height and then pour a pint of shot into it, the water will be caused to rise in the vessel because it has been displaced at the bottom by the heavier material. Now if we remove the shot, the water will recede to the level maintained before the shot was put in. On the contrary, if we should pour an equal bulk of cork or pith balls into the jar, the water would not be displaced because the balls are lighter than the water and would lie on top of it. If, however, the water is removed from the jar, the cork will immediately go to the bottom of the jar because the cork is heavier than the air which has taken the place of the water. We wish to impress upon the mind of the reader the fact that all substances of a fluidic nature, whether in the fluid or gaseous state, have weight and obey the laws of gravitation, and the heavier portions will always seek the lower levels, and in doing this will displace the lighter portions, causing them to rise. There is no tendency in any substance to rise of itself, but the lighter substance rises because it is forced to do so by the heavier, which displaces it. This law lies at the bottom of all the phenomena of air currents. If we are at certain points on the seashore in the summertime, we may notice that about nine o'clock in the morning, a breeze will spring up from the ocean and blow toward the land. This will increase in intensity until about two o'clock in the afternoon when it has reached its maximum velocity, and from this time it gradually diminishes until in the evening there will be a season of calm, the same as there was in the early morning. The explanation of this peculiar action of the air is found in the fact that during the day the land is heated much more rapidly on its surface than the water is. The radiant energy from the sun is suddenly arrested at the surface of the earth, which is heated to only a very shallow depth, while in the water it is different. Being transparent, it is penetrated by the radiant energy to a much greater depth, and does not suddenly arrest it, as is the case on land. As the sun rises and the rays strike in a more and more vertical direction, the earth becomes rapidly and intensely heated at its surface, and this in turn heats the stratum of air next above it which is pressing on it with a force of 15 pounds to the square inch at sea level. When air is heated, it expands, and as it expands, it grows lighter. The stratum lying upon the earth, as soon as it becomes heated, moves upward, and its place is occupied by the heavier, cooler air that flows in from the sides. We can now see that if there is a strong ascending current of air on the land near the ocean, the cooler air from the surface of the ocean will blow in to take the place of the warmer and lighter air that is driven upward, really by the force of gravity which causes the heavier fluid to keep the lowest level. As the earth grows hotter, this movement is more and more rapid, which causes the flow of colder air to be quickened, 
and hence the increasing force of the wind as the sun mounts higher in the heavens but when it has passed the point of maximum heating intensity and the earth begins to cool by radiation the movements of air currents begin to slow up until along in the evening a point is reached where the surface of the earth and that of the ocean are of equal temperature and there is no longer any cause for the change of position in the air the earth heats up quickly and it also cools quickly especially if there is green grass and vegetation while they are poor conductors of heat they are excellent radiators so that when the sun's rays are no longer active the earth cools down rapidly and soon passes the point where there is an equilibrium between the land and water the water possesses the opposite quality it is slow to become heated because of a much larger mass that is affected and is equally slow to give up the heat and the consequence is that after the sun has set the land cools so much faster than the water that we soon have the opposite condition and the sea is warmer than the land which makes the air at that point lighter and which in turn causes the denser or colder air from the land to flow toward the ocean and displace the lighter air and force it upward hence we have a land instead of a sea breeze so that the normal condition in summer is that of a breeze from the ocean toward the land during part of the day and a corresponding breeze from the land to the ocean during part of the night with a period of no wind during the morning and the evening of each day the forces that work to produce all the varying phenomena of air currents on different portions of the earth are difficult to explain as there are so many local conditions of heat and cold and these are modified by the advancing and receding seasons the unequal distribution of land and water upon the earth's surface the readiness with which some portions absorb and radiate heat as compared with others the tall ranges of mountains many of them snow-capped the lowlands adjacent to them that become intensely heated under the sun's rays the diversity of coastline and the fact that there is a zone of continually heated earth and water in the tropical regions all these conditions coupled with the fact that the earth rotates on its axis once in twenty-four hours are certainly sufficient to account for all the complicated phenomena of aerial changes on the various portions of the earth's surface the trade winds are so called because they blow in a certain definite direction during certain seasons of the year and can be reckoned upon for the use of commerce if you trace the line of the equator you will notice that for more than three-quarters of the distance it passes through the water the water as we have explained in the last chapter becomes gradually heated to a considerable depth and when once saturated with heat is slow to give it up it can easily be seen that there will be a zone extending each way from the equator for a certain distance that will become more intensely heated than any other parts of the earth with the exception of certain circumscribed portions of the land the result is that this heated equatorial zone is constantly sending up warm air caused by the inrush of colder air which is heavier than the air at the equator expanded by the heat the warm air at the equator is forced up into the higher regions of the atmosphere and here it overflows each way north and south causing a current of air in the upper regions counter to that of the lower as it travels north and south it gradually drops as it becomes cooler and finally at some point north and south its course is changed and it flows in again towards the equator as a matter of fact the trade winds do not flow apparently from the north and south directly toward the equator but in an oblique direction on the north side of the equator we have a northeasterly wind and a southeasterly wind on the south side this is caused by the rotation of the earth from west to east the direction of the trade wind however is more apparent than real
the earth in its diurnal revolutions travels at the rate of a little more than one thousand miles an hour at the equator but if we should travel northward to within four miles say of the north pole the surface would be moving at the rate of only about a mile an hour at some point equidistant between the north pole and the equator the surface of the earth will be moving at a rate say of five hundred miles an hour if we could fire a projectile from this point that would have a carrying power to take it to the equator some time after the projectile was fired although it would fly in a perfectly direct line it would appear to anyone at the equator who observed its approach to be moving from a northeasterly direction the reason is that the earth is traveling twice as fast at the equator as it is at the point whence the projectile is fired therefore it will overshoot so to speak at the equator and not be dragged around by the increased motion we find there to make this still plainer suppose the earth to be standing still and a projectile to be fired directly across from the north pole in the direction of the lines of longitude and required one hour to reach the equator the projectile would appear to anyone standing at the equator to come directly from the north if however the earth is revolving at the rate of one thousand miles an hour at the equator to the eastward and the projectile was fired from the pole where there is practically no motion in the same direction along the longitudinal lines as before the observer would have to be in a position on the equator one thousand miles west of this longitudinal line in order to see the projectile when it arrived therefore the apparent movement of the projectile would not be along the line at the instant that it was fired but along a line that would cross the equator at a point one thousand miles west when a southward impulse is given to the air it follows to some extent the same law so that to one standing on the equator the northern trade wind will blow from the northeast and the southern trade wind from the southeast owing to the fact that the air rises in the heated zones there is always a region of calms at this point where there is no wind and no rain there are two other regions of calms in the ocean one at the north at the tropic of cancer and another at the south near the tropic of capricorn as has been stated there are currents flowing back in the upper regions at the equator north and south and these are called the upper trades the lower currents being called the lower trades these upper trades gradually fall till they reach the tropic of cancer on the north where the lower part of the current stops and bends back toward the equator now becoming a part of the lower trade wind this causes a calm at that point where it turns the upper parts of this current continue on in a northerly and southerly direction on the surface until they meet with the cold air of the north and south polar regions where there is a conflict of the elements as there always is when cold and warm currents meet the only point where the trade wind has free play is in the south indian ocean and this is called the heart of the trades if the whole globe were covered with water there would be a more constant condition of temperature but owing to the great difference between the land and water both as to altitude and the ability to absorb and radiate heat we have all of these varied and complicated conditions of wind and weather the trade winds shift from north to south and vice versa with the advancing and receding seasons due to the fact that the earth has a compound motion it not only revolves on its axis once in twenty-four hours but it rocks back and forth once a year which is gradually changing the direction of its axis and in addition to these motions it is traveling around the sun as well end of chapter 10 recording by lonel yoder